Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash ProductiveConvo. That's two free weeks at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Again, onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepasswordcom slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter uplift desk a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work and that's just the beginning of what uplift desk has to offer with an emphasis on ergonomics and customization uplift desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals whether you're coding designing or podcasting like i am right now the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. I'm Mike Vardy. Welcome to episode 500 of A Productive Conversation. We're going to circumvent the usual that we do to start off the show where the guest introduces themselves, or if it's an episode from The Vault, I introduce my conversation with the guest from back in the archives. Speaking of which, we've had conversations with our guest today many times before, not just in this iteration of the podcast back when it was the Productivityist podcast, back when I was doing podcasts elsewhere. 
David Allen has been a part of my life for a really long time. So when I had the opportunity to share the stage with him in Lisbon, Portugal at Running Remote in April of 2023, that's this year as we record this, I jumped at the chance. Uh, it's a fireside chat that we had that really, it's, it's, it's something that I haven't shared uh, at least within the confines of this podcast, uh, up until today, I figured for the 500th episode, what better way to celebrate than to share this conversation that I had with David Allen. Now, keep in mind, it was aired live. Keith Elliott, who is our amazing producer, has been for years now, uh, is treating this episode and, and making it sound, uh, you know, podcast worthy. But I mean, we had full sound engineers and all that stuff in Lisbon during the conference, the running remote event, which you can find a link to in the show notes, well worth attending. Uh, it's in Lisbon, which is a beautiful city. I'd never been there before. But the fact that I got to hang out with David Allen on stage, as well as have conversations with him off stage, was something that I was so happy to be able to do, especially since I had not had the chance to see him or um, you know, the first time I met him was actually at South by Southwest. Uh, almost a decade ago and to be able to share the stage with him and have this conversation where I've had another 10 years of experience and he clearly has as well more on the level it was amazing I I can't thank the running remote team enough for that opportunity I can't thank David Allen enough for that opportunity and now I want to share our conversation with you so without further ado Let's get to this conversation, which was recorded live at Running Remote in Lisbon in April of 2023. Here is my conversation, a fireside chat with David Allen. Let's get started. David, good to see you. Hi, Mike. Without a screen. Like, you know, like actually. I know. What is it? You're shorter than I thought you would be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for those that are not familiar with GTD, because I've run across this before, where I will just acronymically say, oh, you know, GTD, and people are like, what's that? Like, they ass I assume people know what it is. So can you just share, before we get really into the meat of things, a little bit about getting things done, the GTD methodology? Yeah. Well, I spent the last 40 years trying to figure out how to be as lazy a person as I can be. <laughs> No, come on, the last person you'd ever want to hear talk about productivity would be somebody's into working hard. <laughs> True. They want to discover what I've discovered, with how little effort you can make shit happen. So that's been my game, really, still is. Uh, and I, what I started to uncover, I didn't wake up one morning with some grand epiphany about all this. This was really uh, built over uh, several years where I was discovering techniques, mostly for myself. <clears throat> I had a background in a lot of stuff, but meditation, martial arts, etc., where I learned the value of clear space. Uh, you know, if you're jumped by four people in a dark alley, you don't want to have 2,000 unprocessed emails hanging around your psyche. So, <laughs> no, you need to be clear and clear and clear. Clear. You know, they say, I've read somewhere, they say it takes 20 minutes to refocus, you get interrupted at work. Just watch a martial artist write four people at once. He's not waiting 20 minutes before he hits the next person. Trust me. <laughs> You know, you got to be quick. So I had that as a context, and I, as my life got more complex and more sophisticated, my own consulting practice, I said, how can I stay clear amidst all this? So I started to explore techniques for myself first, and then I turned around as I was implementing those techniques for myself, they produced more clarity, more focus, more control, more of a sense of meaningful space to focus on the cool stuff. And I turned around and started using those techniques with my consulting clients, and it turned out they produced exactly the same result. One day, a big guy in the corporate training world, human resources, saw what I was doing. He said, David, we need those results in our whole culture. Can you design a training around what you've come up with as a methodology one-on-one? -on -one? So I said, sure. Did a pilot program for 1,000 executives and managers at Lockheed, 1983 and 84, and it hit a nerve. I suddenly found myself thrust into the corporate training world. You could have fooled me. I was an American intellectual history major in Berkeley, California in 1968. If you had told me I was going to be thrust into the corporate training world, I'd say, what are you smoking? <laughs> you know, really? It turned out they were the ripest audience for what I'd come up with. In the mid, early mid-80s was when 
organizations were starting to hit with tsunami of email change, flattened organizations, et cetera. So the stress factor was going up high in a lot of these big companies. So then I spent the next 25, 30 years training thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And a lot of my consulting turned into coaching for senior people, one-on-one desk side with them, uh, with this methodology and watching its results. So it took me 25 years to figure out what I'd figured out and that it was unique and nobody else seemed to have done it. Come on, folks, I never had any formal traditional education in time management, psychology, or business. Mine was all street smarts. It's like, what works? And so that's really where GTD came from. So that then people said, David, you ought to write the book in case I got run over by a bus. It'd be nice to have a manual out there in case somebody wanted to, you know, wanted to do it. So I did. That's when the first edition of Getting Things Done was published in 2001. Then I did a revised edition in 2015. So, and then that thrust me into a whole different world because the book was translated in 30 languages, 3 million copies out there, and suddenly the world was knocking on our door. How do we all get this? Can we do that as well? So anyway, a very long story, very short. Well, and the interesting thing is, is when we've chatted before, like the 2001 edition and then the second edition, there were some subtle changes to the wording of certain things, but the principles still held true, right? Like, what did you notice the differences between 2001 and when the second edition yeah. came out that you yeah, felt needed to be addressed? The methodology is old as dirt. I mean, it, and it will be true 100 years from now. They still need an end basket. They still need to capture stuff that has their attention. They still need to decide next actions and outcomes desired. They still need to have some sort of organizational system so they can review and reflect on that. That's, that's going to be true eternally. So that didn't really change. What changed was the breadth of the audience that needed it. When the book was first published, you know, the, the, the target audience for that was a fast-track professional. They were the ones being hit with this to begin with. So, you know, I got a suit and tie on the, on the cover, you know, corporate-esque. And then uh, what, what I even knew then, that this worked for students, it worked for clergy, it worked for stay-at-home dads, it worked for anybody who had a busy life that wanted to get more done with less effort and less stress. Uh, but the, so the second edition was really more about, okay, now <laughs> let's like, expand the language and expand the reach to a much larger audience, right. world, worldwide, actually. Yeah, and it was neat because the second edition almost looks like you're coming around the corner going, hi, I've got a system that's going to work for all of you, not just the suit and tie types. So, yep. um, Now, remote work is fairly new, though, is it not? I mean, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hedging here because I know yeah. you started in California, but you've been living in Amsterdam for the last nine years. Yeah. So, you know, what, why did you transition to remote work? Like, what was the reason behind you saying, I'm going to do this remotely? Uh, because, I mean, it was a, a big, that's, I mean, I just flew from Vancouver to Lisbon. Yeah. I mean, it's a long way to go. Yeah, well, there were lots of reasons. I mean, first of all, we were becoming more a virtual company anyway. Uh, you know, I built a little company in a little place called Ojai, California, uh, and built our little office, a little jewel box office there. And then as the world was becoming more and more virtual, and a lot of us were traveling anyway, coaches and trainers going around, actually around the world. And so, so it started to become more virtual. Pretty soon, nobody's coming to the office. <laughs> so we said, let's sell it. So we did. So we sold the office, and then my wife and I wanted to move to, out of the U.S. and move to Europe. Uh, and, you know, once we figured that they could get along without us, we could do that. So, and we also then found a great partner for the, delivering our training in the U.S., uh, now uh, Vital Smarts, they were then, now they're called Crucial Learning. And once we had a good partner in the U.S. and Canada, we didn't need a big staff or overhead to manage training and coaching there. So I was able to shrink our staff from 50 people to five. So there are five of us now who manage this, though we have a whole a global network of licensees that, you know, have, that we've, we've certified trainers and coaches uh, around the world now. So we still keep a light touch on managing all of that, managing the brand, managing quality control, and managing certification of master trainers and that. So we still do that, but there are five of us. One is in Medellin, Colombia, one's in Denver, one is in Monterey, California. And uh, my wife and I sort of work remotely because she's in another room. <laughs> Uh, and when we email each other, why, why should I bother? Why should I interrupt her? You know, the GTAP. <laughs> no, come on. So I mentioned earlier remote work is new, and I was air quoting it. I mean, you know, when GTD came out in 2001, 
Was remote work, like, what's the evolution been like that you've seen? Well, come on, I, you know, good salespeople and good management consultants have been working remotely from time ever. You know, so that's, there's really nothing new. What's new is how many people are having to do that now. Right. You know, that's made, that's, you know, made, as we know, the pandemic made, made a big difference in that. But, you know, there, and I believe I heard somebody from the remote, running remote in, I forget which one it was, but I saw it on, on YouTube, he said, look, pretty soon we're not going to say remote work, we're just going to say work. You know, I've never made a distinction between work and personal anyway. It's just somebody earlier today, it's just, it's just work. It's just anything to get done that needs to get done, you know, and so forth. And, but I understand what's been new is how many people are having to reconfigure their psyche to get control of themselves when they've lost a lot of the structures that they had before. So remote work is primarily not new itself. What's new is how many people are needing to be engaged in it. Well, I think one of the things about getting things done, and we've had this conversation before, both in preparation for our conversation, but in the past, is that getting things done is not purely about like the art of stress-free productivity. That's the subtitle, and time management plays a role, but we talk about the idea of self-management, right? Like, and that's something that you brought, you know, you kind of brought to the forum. When I first read the book, um, which, again, back when it came out, that was kind of the impetus for me getting into productivity. Um, I was taking it from a different angle at the time. I was kind of being a productivity parody person, and I was trying to like seeing all of this productivity stuff that was coming out there. And, but I could see the value in, in that, that framework, and it dawned on me that it isn't like, time's kind of moving. It's, 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 it's an arrow, it's moving on, but the self is what we're trying to manage here, right? What kind of relationship does self-management have when it comes to the idea of, as we're here at Running Remote, remote work or even distributed work? Like, where does that fit in? Oh, it's huge. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. Developed through decades of research at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute, Prolon is not just another diet, it's a scientifically backed program designed to support your body's natural processes. Now keep in mind, this isn't about cutting out food, it's about providing your body with the right nutrients to enter a fasting state while still eating. The program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all carefully designed to support healthy blood sugar levels, cardiovascular health, and even reduce abdominal fat. And the convenience? Well, it's unmatched. Everything you need comes in one box delivered right to your doorstep. Thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon for its health benefits, backed by Nobel Prize winning science. So if you're looking for a way to kickstart your health journey with all the benefits of fasting and none of the hunger, Prolon is the answer. And right now, Prolon is offering a Productive Conversation listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash timecrafting for this special offer. Again, that's prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. Check it out today. Ever caught yourself marveling at the seamless magic of everyday tech, like how noise-canceling headphones block out the world or the sheer bliss of meeting-free Fridays? Now imagine if there was a way to bring that kind of magic into selling online. Well, guess what? There is, and it's called Shopify. From the moment you decide to launch your online shop to opening your first physical store, and even when you're pinching yourself because, yes, you just hit a million orders, Shopify is there to guide your growth. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or the latest productivity tools, Shopify supports you everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. The checkout? Oh, it's a breeze for your customers, converting up to 36% better than other platforms. And with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant, you're selling more with way less effort. And you won't be alone in your Shopify journey because Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., supporting giants like Allbirds and Brooklinen and millions of entrepreneurs across 175 countries. Their award-winning support is always there, making sure businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
and yours can be one of those businesses. And for those looking to level up, Shopify's endless integrations and third-party apps from on-demand printing to chatbots ensure your business is always ahead of the curve. So what are you waiting for? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash timecrafting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash timecrafting. Ever found yourself deep in a project, your flow state so intense that the world around you just fades away? That's the magic zone where ideas take flight and your work truly comes to life. But what if, in a blink, it could all disappear? Hard drives fail, coffee spills, and yes, even the dreaded accidental delete happens. But fear not, because CrashPlan has your back. Don't wait for disaster to strike. Head over to CrashPlan.com timecrafting now for a free trial and secure your creations with their limited time buy one get one offers. Supporting our sponsors means supporting this podcast, so take a moment to check them out. CrashPlan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection, specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations. CrashPlan ensures that every file, every idea, and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected. With CrashPlan Professional, you get unlimited backup for your computers, not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to CrashPlan.com timecrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's CrashPlan.com timecrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. Huge. You know, a lot of the discomfort happened in the pandemic because people could not go back to a place that they had uh, standard rituals. The ritual of being in the office, the ritual of coffee breaks, the ritual of meeting people in the hall, those rituals. Uh, a lot of people complained about it, but they, <laughs> they, uh, they actually were quite comfortable with that kind of structure. They were also able to leave kind of their personal life to a large degree at home when they sort of split their split it spatially. Uh, but, you know, as we know now, uh, self-management, you know, time, you, you, can, you don't manage time, folks. Time management's a hoax. Uh, you know, mismanage five minutes and come up with six or four and a half? No. Time just is. It's an important factor, but it just is. You don't mismanage time. The reason they call it time management is because people that get paid a lot of money think they need better help in managing themselves, and it's a little embarrassing to say that. Fair. Getting paid big bucks. I need help in managing myself. Oh, God. Oh, I need better time management because I'm doing such important stuff. Oh, yeah, right. Well, time's objective too, right? Like, so it's a little bit easier to wrap your head around whereas the subjective stuff kind of falls into it, which is the hard part. It's the subjective stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and managing yourself, I mean, it's really all a bit about managing ourselves anyway. You know, it's not about managing time. It's managing what I do during the time I have. And a whole lot of my methodology, which is capturing stuff that has your attention, clarifying sooner than later what you're going to do about it, if anything, organizing the results of that thinking and decision-making to some trusted external brain that then you review and reflect on on some consistent basis so that you feel confident about what you're doing and confident about what you're not doing. Most people don't have a clue of what they're not doing. Most people have, have committed way much more than their systems and their thinking had, can can regroup about at any point in time. And most people are using their head as their office, and your head's just a shitty office. You know, I discovered years ago something the cognitive scientists have just now proven, and that is the number of things your head could hang on to uh, 
to remember, remind, prioritize, and manage relationship between them appropriately? Four. That's it. Right? They used to think seven, but that was before WhatsApp. <laughs> anyway. and, the, and the area code that got put in front of our phone numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> four things. By the way, look at how many numbers are grouped in fours. The brain can handle four things pretty well. And then more than that, you're going to be suboptimal in terms of how you use your, your psyche and your, your mental process. You'll tend to be driven by latest and loudest, not by intuitive strategy. And that's the whole point of GTD, is to clear yourself and to stay clear and not be distracted so that you can trust exactly what you're doing and it's the right thing at the right time to be doing. And that could be having a beer, taking a nap, or reorganizing your company. It's all just next. Do you think people are too hard on themselves when they try to do getting things done and it falls by the wayside for them? How many of you have tried getting things done or using it? Like, I've used getting things done. Keep, keep, keep your hands up. Okay, and how many of you have been like, really, like, it's always worked. I've never dropped the ball. At, yeah, that's what I thought. So we've got you here. What do you say to the people who are like, you know, it, uh, I fell down with it. I, I think I know what you're oh, Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> we all fall down. Yeah. You know, if you didn't fall down, you'd never grow. Anytime you set a new goal or have a new strategy, you're going you're gonna to have to undo and redo. And so essentially, you're constantly throwing... That's how you walk, is you throw yourself out of control and then you step forward so you don't fall. Right? So, you know, life is not all about being in some ball hall, like, you know, um, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but it's really about knowing when you're on and knowing when you're not on and then knowing how to get back on as fast as you can. And that's a lot of what the game is about. So, you know, I, I thought, if you're not falling off your game fairly regularly, you may not be playing a big enough game. No, really. So you need to go throw yourself out of your own comfort zone. Maybe this, maybe remote work is doing that for all of you. If I've been listening to you folks here, pretty much there seems to be, you know, uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty much consensus about what's going on, what's happening, what are the best practices that you need to do, and I couldn't agree more. You know, it, it really is true. But back to your point, self-management is going to become that much more critical. We've seen it already. And we've seen also it becomes that much more necessary for teams. I've heard a good bit of talk about teams and working remote. Uh, there, there is a new GTD book coming out uh, on teams because the, the big problem, most people get GTD and say, God, I wish everybody around me got this. Life and work would be so much easier. Right. Well, we're finally writing the manual for all of that. And it, it really is about how do we make sure that, well, let me go back, to, back up to dimming. Mm. Anybody remember dimming or reading about dimming? TQM, Total Quality Management, studying Toyota, right? Basically, you know, his point was you could have the most high-performing people, but if your process sucks, your output sucks. So it's like fix your process, right? But it's also, the obverse is also true. You could have a great process, but if you've got people that suck, your outputs suck. Right? So, you, you know, if you have people that are dropping the ball on a team, your team is only as good as its weakest link, folks. Right? So you've got a weak link. Somebody's not responding to emails, you know, within 24 to 48 hours. Whatever your protocols are that you come up with. And that's one of the biggest issues out there right now is what I call channel creep. How many channels do you have to pay attention to now? You've got Slack, you've got Teams, you've got Evernote, you've got email, you've got all that stuff. And so what's happened is the volume of channels has opened up tremendously. And if you don't have the protocol about how, you know, when do you use Slack? When do you use chat? When do you use a text? When should you call somebody? You know, and those, we've had a, a company in Norway that really discreetly defined, here's how we use SMS, here's how we use phones, here's how, when we do this. And I, I, I checked with them, I said, how long have you been doing this? They said, a year. They said, it's worked fabulously. But they had to spend the time to build protocols that then they agreed on so that if people fell off the board, you know, they, they knew they were off the board and, the, you know, the, the culture could pull them back. Which actually, that, that's a nice lean into the idea of autonomy versus self-management. So there's, there's, is there a fine line? Is it like, what do you consider to be the, like Mark alluded to when he was talking about last night about the idea of flexibility, like, like there, that's yeah. a huge thing. So when it comes to self-management and autonomy, like what, 
is there, what do you feel the distinction is there and how do people feel that they can be both autonomous but also manage themselves and yet work within the, the, the structure or the fundamentals of the framework of the organization? Yeah. Well, actually, your speaker this morning, uh, Atlassian. Oh, well, Ryan was the first one, right? But Atlassian, uh, Mark from Atlassian. Yeah, yeah. Atlassian, he talked about the three critical keys. That's Mark, yeah. Right. Uh, and key number two was it's not remote, it's distribution. It's distributed work, it's not remote work. It's work that's distributed. Now, you know, we implemented Holacracy 10 years ago, which is distributed authority. So I've worked in an organization that does not have titles. We just have roles and accountabilities. So we don't need to hold each other's hands. We just say, Anne's responsible for that, Catherine's responsible for these things, you know. So we don't have titles about that stuff, but it's distributed authority. So distribution is critical. He also said meetings. And meetings, man, the two biggest issues for most executives are e meetings and email. It's just sucking wind out of the sails like crazy. So a lot of what our new book is about is the principles of GTD applied in a team context. The team needs to capture what's got the team's attention. The team needs to clarify sooner than later what exactly needs to happen about this thing that has the team's attention. What's the next action and what's the desired outcome we need to keep track of if one action won't finish it. And the team also then needs to have agreed-upon protocols about how do we organize the results of that decision-making in such a way that the appropriate person or people can see a, a dashboard, essentially, of the status of the team and the projects that, that are involved. So those are just principles of GTD. Mm -hmm. you know, I, that's, I didn't really make those up. I just recognized what we do when things really cook, when things really smoke and they're on. We are capturing, you're clarifying, you're organizing, you're reflecting and reviewing. The right people are doing all of that in an appropriate way, so you're feeling comfortable about what you're doing. It's not about working harder, folks, really. And a lot of people are sucked into the busy trap because, you know, the nature of the world now, if you guys haven't noticed, is it's 24-7. It ain't stopping. I mean, the internet and also the globalization of work has made it a 24-7 thing out there, and people are trying to run hard enough to keep up with the 24-7, oh my God. And there's an old personal growth saying that you can never get enough of what you don't really need. And what you don't need is working harder. You can never have enough. You can never work hard enough, folks. I hope you folks get that. There is no way you could ever keep up. As a matter of fact, now they know, and cognitive science knows this, and it's one of the reasons to implement GTD, is it gives your brain space. And the cognitive scientists know now that every day your brain needs to rest. It needs to stop so that the archiving process of your brain can then knit together the complexities of your day-to-day -day world. And most people, there's a guy, a guy who wrote a book called Brain Chains, Theo Compagnoli out of Brussels and a whole book that curated 650 of the latest cognitive science experiments. And his rant is, folks, you need to take a nap in the afternoon. You need to sleep at least seven, eight, nine hours a night. You need to get up and walk around every 90 minutes and give yourself five minutes to stop. And so the always-on world is burning people out. And you're not going to change that by slowing down the world or becoming non-global. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. You know, you're going to have to get better practices about how do we decide and manage all of that stuff so I have the time to stop. The biggest need right now is reflection time. Biggest need for anybody. Stop and reflect. Stop. It doesn't take a lot to be strategic. It doesn't have, by the way, how much time does it take to have a good idea? Zero. It does not require time. What it does require is room. If you're distracted, it's hard to be creative, strategic, innovative, or of service. Anybody else? You know, you're sitting there trying to just feed the monkey that's running in, running in, your, in your brain. That, that won't work. Yeah, I think I saw John Cleese, he did a talk from Monty Python saying, the two things you need to be truly creative are time and space. You can't have one, doesn't do it. The other, doesn't do it. You need both. And I mean, he would know. He made, some, he made a lot of funny stuff over the years. Well, I hope I'm not being too cranky here. <laughs> I mean, come on, I'll be 78 this year, and, and I'm still, I still work at this. I still, I, I don't get away from this. I still have an end basket. I still have to deal with the stuff that's piling up while I'm speaking right now. I'm still going to have to get back to zero again so I can feel comfortable about what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. 
I'm still going to have to do all of that. So when Catherine and I are together, I don't have to deal with the business of life stuff that's already in her email. In the next room. In, in the next room. <laughs> in the next, or wherever she is. Who knows? Um, yeah. And, I mean, this lends itself nicely to the idea of AI. AI has been a, a big topic here at Running Remote uh, today. I'm sure it will carry over to tomorrow. Um, and then we're going to have time for some audience questions. But I want to, first off, I'm going to talk about tools, because tools was a thing that came up. Um, and now with the dawn of kind of AI, and we're seeing AI assistance, there was never a GTD app, like an app completely dedicated to the getting things done methodology. It's been applied to several different apps, but what about the idea of a GTD AI assistant? What do you see that looking like? Mm. Or do you? Well, yes and no. I, um, where the digital world is going, and it's very cool, is decision support. So we've already seen that already. I mean, the first speaker this morning talked about AI and showed examples of that. And I've seen examples where, I think you gave me an example where you just run, you know, hey, what should I do on this project? Da, 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 da. Yeah, I had to break yeah. down a project. Basically, people are saying they don't have enough so, time. Yeah. Uh, and someone else sent me an email. He said, wow, David, I just did this thing about a weekly review and asked the chat GTD, you know, how should I run a weekly review? And it was a, it was a dynamic and quite a uh, useful framework, you know, that it came up with. So, yeah, that, that's out there. Uh, uh, once you kind of get this stuff, I mean, you, you are your own AI. I mean, intelligence is something, anyway. That's where you put all the cranky pads. No, it's, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's fun, it's cool stuff. Somebody, go run, go run chat GTP, GTP on David Allen, see what you see. Fascinating. It was quite uh, complimentary, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the other thing we talked about, though, was that we can get AI to do the thing, but you can't remove, the, you need to audit, you need to edit, you need to have that yeah. human touch in there. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're, you're not going to have uh, AI uh, decide what to buy for your mom's birthday. Uh, it can give you a lot of good data about what, she, what you bought before, what her favorite colors are, what her birthday is. You know, I'm going to give you a lot of, you know, and maybe some creative ideas about that, but you're still the one that's going to have to decide exactly what you're going to do, and that's the curation process. So you're not going to get rid of that. Uh, what you need is room to curate. <laughs> you need space. You need time. I mean, if you're enough to here, you have more room. And uh, that's, that's, interestingly, the people most attracted to GTD and my stuff are the people that need it the least. They're already the most uh, organized, focused, aspirational folks. They already know the value of system because it got them where they were. And so they just sort of run out of room. And that's what this does is it, it provides you more space, more space to do the cool stuff. Curate AI you know, content. Uh, just be strategic. Be more loving and present. Be able to have time. I heard earlier today just spending time with people even in, in your virtual worlds out there, and say, hey, tell me what's up. We start all of our meetings. By the way, we only have meetings when somebody wants one. Uh, for the five of us. Nobody wants it. We have it. We do. And we start every meeting with a check-in. Hi, how are you doing? What's up? What do you need to express so you can get present in, mm -hmm. in the meeting? And we always end the meetings with a check-out. How was today? How'd this go? You know, what do you, whatever. And you don't need... That, that takes a few seconds, and it creates that warm, personal, you know, connection. Now, again, my five people I've, have worked with me for 25 years, and we're very close friends, so that right. makes a difference. Right. For sure. So I'm, I'm kind of speaking out of school. But, but I mean, uh, Ryan mentioned in his, in his talk to kick off the day the idea of, like, the cars and the advent of cars and things changing and all that stuff. Like, the one thing that generally hasn't changed is human behavior. <laughs> <laughs> like, we can rely no matter whether it's here or back in 1906 or whatever, there's still certain things that whether, I mean, tell oh, yeah. me, yeah, I mean, there's going to be that, right? So, there's, hey, people complained about smoke signals, probably, and then carrier pigeons, you know, all of these things, and the telephone, for sure, oh, my God. And they thought if you're going to drive more than 20 miles an hour, you're going to die, you know, so there's probably nothing new under the sun in terms of these kinds of changes and, you know, sparking you know, weird perceptions and you know, things that are going to have to be undone. Right. All right, so I'm, we're ready for questions. Let's get some questions. Uh, we, there's people obviously watching virtually as well as here. Um, so if we can get that up and uh, 
see what questions we have. It's just fascinating to me to see that, again, it's been, what, 20, 22 years this year that Getting Things Done came out. And uh, it's standing the test of time. It's, it really is. Uh, Morgan, where are you, Morgan? Um, Morgan Leggy asks, we are a holacracy as well. I'd love to know what your process is for context switching between different roles in holacracy. We just change. <laughs> no, hey, we don't need that role anymore. Bye. Sorry, or not by you, just that role is now gone. You may have different roles or new roles are needed. Yeah, so that's the nice thing about holacracy, as you may know, is that it is so totally flexible and totally non-predictive that uh, you can turn on a dime, and we do. Uh, Andrew asks, how do you advise operationalizing proper self-management to your team, especially at different levels of scale? So how do you put it to practice? Beats me. <laughs> I, you know, I've been, work, I've been working with this for 40 years, and I still uh, kind of scratch my head and go, I don't know how you do that. Well, the first thing you need to do is model it. If you can't model it, don't expect anybody around you to do it. So if you're doing it, then it kind of can kind of osmotically affect everybody around you. Um, you know, if you're the boss and you're not taking notes in a meeting, you're just demonstrating that your head, you're trying to remember everything. You know, if you're not deciding, why are we even having this meeting? If that's not clear to begin with, you shouldn't even go. We had one, one of our clients that just set up very strict protocols that when you get an invitation to a meeting, if the purpose of the meeting is not clear, if the role that you're supposed to play in that meeting is not clear, you have permission not to go. So, you know, so those are the kinds of behaviors, if you start to do those, that starts to communicate a whole lot to your culture. We've seen whole cultures change with just outcome and action thinking. What are we trying to do here? Well, how do we allocate or reallocate resources to make that happen? What's the next action and who's doing it? Those, you're not born doing those things. It's a cognitive muscle you need to train and it's one that you can actually infuse into the culture without having to be some cultish gtd -er. You just need those basic core practices of capturing stuff that has your attention, deciding outcomes and action steps required and ownership and accountability of. I think Morgan wants to ask or kind of add on that was more about the mental shift between active roles and, and that you hold. Like, how do you make that kind of, because again, that's the soft skill yeah, stuff, you right? you need to model it and, and, and hold people accountable to it. If you're going to the meeting, say, hey folks, I'm sorry, I'm the dummy here. Why, why, do we, why are we in this room? And what do we want to have true by what time? I guarantee you that that will change a culture if you're not doing that already. Just holding people accountable to that. They, it doesn't matter where you are on the food chain, you know, those are good questions and important questions to ask and important things to get clear if you're trying to have a productive meeting or a productive group. So uh, holding people accountable to that. If you're the boss and say, okay, folks, uh, come on, I got a bunch of new stuff here, some cool projects, but I need to know who to give this to right now. Show me your project list. And if you got people that couldn't come up right then with a list of all the things they've, com they've committed to produce, and by the way, most mid to senior level professionals have between 30 and 100 of those. You know, believe me, very few of you have a real, totally current project list. If you do, you're, you're, you're a card-carrying gtd -er for sure. Uh, but that's, that, just holding people accountable to that and those kinds of things, and doing it elegantly and politically correct, for sure. But it can be done. So Joanna's got an interesting question, which I'd... I'd I'd love to hear, I don't think I've ever asked you this. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Let go, let God. Come on, control is the master human addiction. So my screensaver says, let go. Good one. When's the new book coming out? That's a question from James. It's <laughs> <laughs> a loaded question. Ping, it says probably first of the year, 2020. Yeah. Uh, Jesse's asking, and again, I think it's, it's a challenging one because simple isn't always easy and easy isn't always, like they're different. So she asked, uh, how do you, or they asked, how do you get clear? How do you get clear? Yeah, well, 
pretty simple. It's called First Step. Paper and pen. <laughs> There's mine. Oh, okay. This has been with me for 40 years. Right? Some of my coolest ideas started here. I never know if they're really going to be cool, because later on I'll be smarter about it. But while I'm having the idea, it's got to be good because I had the idea, but then later it's like, too much wine, David. Oh, Jesus. Who are you kidding? <laughs> if I can even read it, I had to learn to write more legibly. <laughs> anyway, so that's the first step, is write down what's got your attention. Folks, you don't have to go far. How many, I'm curious, while we've been talking up here, have had your mind go somewhere has absolutely nothing to do with what we've been talking about? Raise your hand. How many of you made significant progress on that when your head went there? <laughs> big waste of time, big waste of and drain on your energy. Now you may have had some, you may have gone there and had some good idea. That's possible, rare, but it's possible to do. So that's the first thing: is grab stuff that has your attention, get it all out, all of it. Personal, professional, little, big, anything that's got your attention. That's the first thing we do when we coach people with this process, is just get a big stack of paper and a nice pen and say, just empty your head. Don't organize it, don't prioritize it, don't do anything with it except just capture it. Capture is step one. You gotta get it out of your head. And then step two, you can't just leave it there. If you just leave it there, now you become compulsive list maker. Now you got lists st stuck all over God and creation. You know, you got post-its on your screens, you got, that's not going to help either. At some point, that's all going to crawl back up into your head. So the next thing you need to do to get clear is a clarify step about what you wrote down. Is that something you're actually committed to do or not? Yes or no? If no, it's trash, reference material, or incubate. If yes, then that means there is some next action that needs to be taken on this to move the needle on it, and if one action won't finish it, What's the project that you need to identify and keep track of till you cross that finish line? That's how you get clarity. To stay clear, you need to organize all that in some place that you review regularly and keep it current. Last question, because I know we're getting close and everyone's getting hungry, we're in your time. Um, so it was, oh, let's see, it moved on. Uh, oh, here we go. Andrew asked, how do you advise operationalizing proper self-management to your team? especially at different levels of scale. Yeah, again, model it. Give them all my book. <laughs> I've got no excuse. That's what I was hoping you'd yeah. say. <laughs> like, look, it's all in there, how much they want to use of it or do with it. And, but it's, you're not like running with scissors. Any little of this is going to help. You know, so uh, again, back to the, just hold people accountable to these behaviors. You don't have to call it GTD. You just call them, hey, what's your outcome? What are you trying to accomplish? By the way, show me what all your commitments are before I give you any more so we can, you know, organize and coordinate our priorities. Those are just good business practices, folks. There's not a, not, no, nothing foreign or it's not like a new technology or a foreign language. Well, um, this has been great. Thanks to everybody for being here. Before we go, David, I just want to say that if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be doing what I do. So I really appreciate you and all the work you've done over the years, and I can't wait to see what the new book brings. So Yay. thank you, everybody. And there you have it, a conversation I was glad to be able to bring to you for the 500th episode. You can check out all of the show notes, every link that we're going to link to, all of that fun stuff at productivityist.com slash podcast 500. And if you want to support the show via the sponsors that we've had, the ones that you've heard during our conversation today, just head to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors, and you'll be able to support them. Just let them know that we sent you just by checking out the links, and that'll, that'll help us. That'll help keep the lights on for another 500 episodes or thereabouts. Before I wrap up this episode, I just want to thank everyone that's been involved with the podcasting journey that I've been on, as well as the show that you're listening to right now, which used to be called The Productivity is Podcast and is now called A Productive Conversation. 500 episodes is a long time. Uh, and, and the producers that have been involved, uh, from those that started off with the show to Keith, who's doing an excellent job now, I want to thank all of them. Everybody who has worked alongside me to bring this show to you uh, in the you know, the, the background, I want to thank every one of them. There's just too many to name. 
and those that have supported me, not just in my podcasting journey, but also in the journey of, you know, my life as the productivityist. Uh, and, and whether it's colleagues, whether it's members of Time Crafting Trust Premium or Time Crafting Trust, those who have been involved with that, I want to thank each and every one of them as well. Again, too many people to name, but just know that if you have had any impact uh, on my career, uh, on this show, on what I get to do for a living, um, I want to thank you for that. And last but certainly not least, I want to thank you, the listener, for checking out this episode. If you've subscribed to the show before this point, uh, thank you for all of the episodes that you've been a part of. If you're new to the show, I encourage you to stick around and check out what's to come. You could subscribe Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I also have a new podcast that I started called The Night Owl Space. At this point, it is a bi-weekly show that may change, but it's a show for night owls by a proud night owl. You can find The Night Owl Space just by searching The Night Owl Space or my name uh, in Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. So you can check it out there as well. If you would like to have more of Mike Vardy in your life, uh, as well as a vibrant community, uh, there is a link in the show notes to check out what Time Crafting Trust Premium can offer you as well. So there's lots of ways to kind of keep the productive conversation going, as well as you getting involved with productive conversations as well. Again, I'm so honored and privileged to be able to do this and to get to 500 episodes is a real treat. And it's a real treat to be able to share these guests with you, every single one uh, that we've had and the many more that are to come. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for being part of it. Thanks for listening. And until the next one and the next 500, <laughs> I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.